And please be seated. And um, as you do so, maybe you could just turn to someone next to you and wish them a it's already December, so maybe just a happy December, and let's uh, greet one another here. For some, it's um, kind of, oh, already, it's here. And uh, the lists are growing of the things to do and so on and so forth. And um, I just want to uh, um, welcome all of you, and it's so nice to worship together today. And also for our, uh, many of us that went out to serve this past week, and last week uh, we had a, a big response of so many of you who donated, bought those t-shirts, I know people, some people bought it for like over 100 bucks, you know, and um, really wanted to give in that way, and so we're excited about that and wanted to thank all of you. Um, yesterday at Serve the People, I know there was a big uh, group, and especially from our Irvine um, uh, church, we had a big group that showed up, and in uh, here as well. And so, I want to thank all of you for that. And so, we just have two more outings left for this Be Generous Month, and uh, make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, we have Serve the People again, and on the 20th, we are going to be throwing that picnic for Olive Crest. Um, and so, make sure uh, you sign up and go out and love the kids and uh, spend some time there. Um, so. Keep that in mind, and um, a lot of you have been bringing presents. Some of you had picked up kits. You could drop that off after service on your way out, um, and uh, so I, I know the kids will have a blast uh, with the toys and everything that they get, and they know they get it from us, and um, each year they do send us handwritten um, letters from some of the teens that receive this, and uh, you know, we can't like show everyone, obviously, but we, we try to put it on Facebook and show you, but it's really... Um, you know, I don't know if they force him to do it, you know, but it's really heartwarming when I do get it. I'm like, wow, it's so nice. And uh, there are actually um, people behind us that receive this. And so uh, we want to send it off. And um, they're teenagers. Um, they're junior hires, high schoolers. And, uh, you know, we want to really share the love of God with them. And so uh, you're doing all of that. And so we just want to encourage you uh, to continue on. You know, as Already, as December is upon us, you know, it just snuck up on us, right? I mean, November was going 100 miles an hour, it seemed like, and then boom, it's December already. And I'm flipping the calendar in my office, and I'm like, wow, it's December already. Uh, it's gone by so fast. At the end of the year, you do think about things. You think about how quickly things have gone by. Um, and I don't know if we even have time, but we, uh, today I want to take a little time to think about um, how we spent our time how we lived our lives. And was it, if you could grade yourself on 2015 as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as um, whatever your role is at work, as a church member, as a community group member, as a dad, as a mom, as a spouse, uh, as a sister, brother, whatever it is, you know, how would you grade yourself? How was it? You know, was it an A-plus year? Was 2015 uh, pretty good? Was it just average? Was it worse than last year? Is it getting worse and worse as you're getting older? You're turning into kind of the grumpy old man as the years are going by. You're set in your ways. Or are you learning? Are you growing? Are you helping people? Um, how would you grade it, right? And we obviously want to live a life of significance. We want to live a life that matters. Not just a busy life. And we think, and we are confused to think many times, significance comes from being busy. 
But significance does not come from being busy. It, it comes from living in the presence of God. You know, we get in this wonderful passage here, and a passage that if you've been in the church, you know so well. You know, Paul's at the end of his life. He knows this is it. And he talks those famous words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. And we know those words, and it's kind of the end of his life, and it's been a motto for many as they have, uh, when they wrap up their lives, they go to this. And we say, boy, I wish I could say this, and we've heard this many times. Right? It's interesting because uh, um, uh, Claire Booth Lucy, who she summed up this idea that there is a life sentence that describes all of us, a life sentence. At the end, of, basically, at the end of our lives, when it's all said and done, you will be summed up in one sentence. And that's what she came up with. That, that you'll be remembered just by one sentence. God willing, you have grandkids, you have friends, you have church members, and they will remember you, sum you up in one way. Oh, yeah, that person was really funny. You know, or that person, wow, you know, she was really kind. You know, oh, that guy, he's just, just a big jerk. You know, like, it's just tough. And we sum them up in one sentence. And it takes a lifetime to come up with that. And you are writing it right now. You as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a person of faith, as a man or woman who is on this faith journey, you're going to be summing up your life in one sentence. A person who made, that person made an impact, taught me this. That person loved me in this way. Um, how is it going to be summed up? You already kind of, we already know. You already know in your head, right now, if this was it, if it ended here, you know how you would get summed up. You know... You know already, we're, we're often, we, we know ourselves, and we know, I, I don't want it to end this way. I know I have to work on these things. i got to work on my temper. i got to work on my humility. i got to work on, you know, being more active in, in my faith. i got to pray more. We have all these things, all these regrets. We know we want to work on it, but the thing is, we have to start today. You know, there's been all these surveys done of people when they get to the end of their lives, they are asked what are the, some of the things that they regret. One sociologist, Tony Campolo, did a survey of 50 95-year-olds. 50 95-year-olds. And asked them, what was your regrets? And there was a theme of these three in all of their answers. One is they would reflect more. They were all just so busy. They would just sit and be able to think and not just do and not let that dictate them. Secondly, is they would risk more. Why not take a risk? I should have asked her out back in, you know, whenever, and who knew me? Could have, maybe I could have married her because I see on Facebook the person she married, and I'm a lot better. You know, whatever you come up with, um, we would risk more. I wish I would have talked to my neighbor about this. I wish I would have shared my faith with that. We would have risked more. And thirdly, we would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. We would do more things that would live on after I am gone. This is what we call legacy. You know, we're not multi-billionaires that's going to leave a chunk of money with a, a building named after us. Most of us aren't like that. But our legacy is really left in, in, in people around us. And the thing that gets passed on, you think about this, it has to involve God. And this is the letter that Paul is writing to his apprentice, Timothy. And he's telling him, don't live a life of regret. Have some significance. And this, he says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom. He says, I charge you. 
I implore of you. I want to warn you. I want to push. This is not a casual just encouragement, a suggestion. He says, I charge you with this. And this is very serious. It's a matter of life and death. It's in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. As he, as God as our witness, as he is in your life, as he is a part of your life, as he matters to you, as you live in this way, I charge you. And so the first thing we see here is that our lives, a successful life, it's not on how big your family will be when you're, you know, 80 years old or, or how much you would have amassed if you're at this time or how many degrees you had. Or, um, it's ultimately, is it a God-centered life? And think about it. So he's telling Timothy, now, Timothy's a pastor. And so does this mean that it doesn't relate to me? Um, you know, I'm not a pastor. You know, I do this. I work at this kind of office. How does this relate to me? It's not so much of what we do, but who's in our lives. And so we're going to draw from this what this life of significance really does, what it looks like here today, right? Um, but we're called to live a successful life, a life of significance that is centered around God, to live faithfully to God, to acknowledge God. Um, you know, this past month in November, we had um, at our church, we had three weddings, and I, it's kind of, it's the joy I get to go, some of you know maybe one of the couples or some of you don't or whatnot, but I, I get to go to all of them. I get to be a part of it. Um, and it's a joy to be there. And it's a very joyous occasion. It's an exciting time. But one of the things that makes it so significant is these sweet two people in front of all the hundreds of people that come. And this was true at all three. They, they keep acknowledging God. Like, in God's presence. God is here. You're making this covenant before God. As a Christian, the idea that God is present in my life, that God is indwelling in me, that God is walking beside me, that matters, that I would acknowledge him. Not simply know theology about him, not know things about him, not just do things with people that say they know him, but I would acknowledge him in everything I do. It affects all of us. You know, so if you're a student and you're going to high school, it affects the way you study. It affects the way you talk. You know, not just faking it at home or, you know, but because God is with me, I honor God in my high school days. Because God is with me, I honor God in my college days. Because God is with me, I honor God when I work. When everyone else is bad-mouthing the boss, when everyone else is cutting corners, I honor God because he is with me. It affects the way we parent our kids. And some of us say, man, you know, I want to be better than my parents were. I want to provide more things than I had. Well, we do it not simply just to outdo them or to compensate for those. That we do it to honor God. And so if I have to raise my kids and I have to acknowledge them, I have to love them, I have to discipline them, I do all those things because God is present in my life. Husbands, you love your wives not because they are always lovable, Right? I don't want to hear amen, okay? Um, it's not because they're always perfect. It's definitely not because you are such a generous person. We know that. We are there, and we say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to love, because God is present in my life. 
And so the presence of God in our lives affects everything we do. All of our vocation, all of our schooling, all of our interactions, the way we live, think, and talk, it affects all of it that I could honor God in my life. And so if you could look back on 2015 and say, you know, I tried my best to honor God. I didn't make as much money maybe for some of us. We could say 2014, 13, I made more money than I did now. It wasn't the best of times. Um, you know, I, my, my grades weren't the best this, this year compared to last year. Will we look at that as a failure? No, as a Christian, it's, it's did I honor God in it? Did I honor God in it? And all of us, we, we don't want to look back with regrets. There was a man named uh, Malcolm Muggridge, um, the late Malcolm Muggridge. He's quoted often by Ravi Zacharias and other people, um, a, a British uh, journalist, who served the country in various ways, an editor of uh, newspapers, even worked as a spy at one time, uh, pro- self-proclaimed agnostic towards the latter part of his life where he comes to faith in Christ and his whole life changes. And his writings live on today where they are um, uh, uh, such a good indicator of society and the way he puts the wordings and he is quoted often. It's interesting because one of the works that he did is his autobiography. And it, it, he talks about, in, in two volumes, he sums up his uh, life basically before he comes to faith. And the title of his autobiography, he says this is Chronicles of Wasted Time. And so he had this humor every time he wrote this. Two big books, and it's called The Chronicles of Wasted Time. You would look at it, you say, boy, you were an editor of this. You traveled the world at this time when the TV uh, revolution came on. You were on TV. You were famous. You knew famous people. If you would, we would go to your office, you would have pictures standing next to famous people. And he says, no, it was chronicles of wasted time. His whole life of chasing after the wind was a wasted time, he says. And if you were to now write your own autobiography, and you look back on your teens or your 20s, and you say, boy, I sure did so much. Or you look back on your 30s, and God willing, you make it to age 90, and you are looking back on all the different decades of your life, would it be a chronicle of wasted time? I was busy. I was relevant. I had friends, or I thought I did. Or did I acknowledge God in all that I do? Um, if we have a clear vision of where we want to go. And this, this is true for anything in life, really. Right? The student who studies so hard is because they have a vision. I want to study hard so I can go to university and I could study hard there. And I could leave mom and dad and I can go away. You know, like freedom, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. You know, it, it's just, I could do that maybe. The student in grad school is say, I, you know, they have a vision in mind. I'm going to finish this degree so that I can move up the pay scale from this to all the way to here, and boy, you know, it would be nice. The, the mom who is pregnant for nine months carrying a baby is able to carry the baby. They have a vision that I'm going to now take care of myself and avoid caffeine and raw food and, and all the hardships of that for the vision I have of a baby. And you think about the Christian life, if you have a vision that I define significance and success as that if I was faithful to God, that is success. If we could have that as a motto in our lives, then we are not easily disappointed. We don't go up and down. 
That way we look back and say, boy, that was success. I don't have regrets. That significant or uh, uh, successful life has, um, according to this passage here, has, uh, does three things. Number one, it struggles well. Number two, uh, it stays faithful. Number three, it keeps the end in mind or it has the vision in mind, right? Let me just go through these three here. Number one, it struggles well. If you have the vision, the goal in mind, it struggles well. The Christian who says, my goal is to be faithful to my God, Become more and more like him. I want to be faithful to God in my life. We struggle better. The person who has no goal in mind, all they do in life, and you know people like this, is they just try to avoid any struggle possible. Boy, this job is tough. This industry is tough. I quit. I'm going to go try this. Boy, this nonprofit industry is really hard. It takes a lot of work. I quit. I'm going to go to for profit. Uh, um, you know, boy, you know, this, this, this married life, it, it, this, this, is, this is really not what I was looking forward to. Maybe I have to move on. Maybe I didn't meet my soulmate or whatever. And we hear this often. But the person who has a goal in mind that I will now be faithful to God, I will live for God in his presence, they struggle better. You know, the stories of the people in the Old Testament, it's, it's summed up in all of their struggles. It's the struggles that define them. It's the struggles that show their faith. Think about this. When you face struggles, and some of you for this year has been a difficult year, loss, losses, heartbreaks, whatever it is, loneliness, and all the things that life brings our way, and you're dealing with that. If you had it your way, right, if our wish came true, wouldn't our lives be like this? You wake up, you know, you grow up in a home, everyone takes care of you, you have all the money in the world. You don't even have to worry. And you're so smart, you don't really have to study. But you know, you know, the Ivy Leagues want you, Stanford wants you, so you get all these degrees, and then you, you graduate, and you meet the perfect person. They never give you a hard time. You know, they never nag you, they never do anything. And you go to work, and work is just fun, man. It's just fun, and then you have all this money, and, you, and you, you know, you're just gonna live. No one in history of significance had a life like that. A person of significance, when you read their biographies, they all struggled. And the person of faith, when you read in the Bible, they all struggled immensely. They prayed, Paul prayed, take the thorn away from me. He pleaded with the Lord three times. They struggle, and it's in their struggles that their character is defined. And so when we now, as followers of God, struggle and we face hardships, we say, well, this is something God is using. The struggle has a purpose. Because the person who has no vision of God says the struggle is just a struggle. It's just pain. Get rid of it. But when God is in the presence of that, we say it has a purpose. God is going to use that to teach me something. God is using this time to help me to do something. You know, in, this, in verse 7, in this very famous verse, it says this, I have fought the good fight. Right? One commentator says it's the military idea, and then it sums up with the, uh, you know, with the athletic idea of finishing the race. And, and lastly, it's someone with a job or a task. I finish, I've been faithful with, I have kept the faith. Right? But I have fought the good fight. And so some, some scholars say, oh, maybe this is more of an uh, athletic term, or what, maybe it's more of a... Uh, you know, a war, you know, military idea. Either way, 
the picture of this is a struggle. It's not, I have lived the rich and famous easy life. I have enjoyed just cruising in my life. I have fought the good fight. And this is where our theology is all mixed up because we think if I am good, I am nice to God, I am good to God, isn't my life supposed to be really easy? Isn't that what my ears want to hear? How many of us could say, boy, I'm a better Christian than the Apostle Paul, and yet he says, I fought a fight. It was a struggle. And it wasn't a fight that was happening that I got to just watch from a distance. He said, I had to roll my sleeves. I had to get in the fight. I fought the fight. It was a struggle. Um, Just in the context of this, right, he tells, uh, Paul tells Timothy, and this is what Timothy's job, this is his world, right? He's going to be a preacher. He's going to be a pastor. He's going to share the doctrine. He says, this is what your life is going to look like. Imagine this. Um, when I read this, I'm like, oh, gosh, this is tough, right? In verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Um, so he is going to be a pastor. That's his calling. Is different than you know most of us here. But he says, this is what your calling is going to look like. You're going to now lead a group of people, and they're not going to endure sound teaching. So you're going to prepare all the sound teaching, and they're going to say, oh, gosh, that's, I, I don't know. That really takes man out of the picture. I, I, I don't want to hear that uh, about this. And then they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their needs. They're going to say, well, that guy is better. That guy down the street is better. I'm going to just go to him. He tells me what I want to hear. They're going to wander into myths. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth. Can you imagine if you're the communicator, and Paul is almost prophetically telling Timothy, the people you're going to speak to, uh, this is what you're going to face. This is heartbreaking. This is a career-ending type of thing. What? You mean they're not going to applaud, amen, they're going to enjoy everything I say? No, he's, no, they're going to actually probably wander away. It's going to be tough. And he tells him in verse 5, endure suffering. Don't jump ship, endure suffering. And so those of us who have a vision of God suffer better. Number two is we stay faithful. It says here in verse 7, again, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Whenever you come and you use the word finished something, it means you were faithful to it. You know, um, I have finished this project. Isn't that one of the best feelings? I finished this paper. Um, I finished this degree. I'm done. I finished my car payments. Oh, praise the Lord. Like, you know, that is fantastic. I I look forward. I finished my mortgage payments and my kids' School payments forever. Like, you know, I look forward to that one day. Um, But to be faithful, I have finished the race. You know, faithfulness is not a flashy word. Faithfulness is not a popular word. Faithfulness, you picture, it's kind of dull. It's kind of there. Um, It's not exciting at all. But you think about the word faithful, and it is a picture 
of something you cannot accomplish in a short time. You know, over the years, um, whether in the church or, or, you know, whatnot, I've seen people that have come up, gotten famous, but the ones that have stuck with me are the faithful ones, the ones that have just been steady, plotting along. No one's noticing. I'm just there. You know, I'm here. I'm here to serve and just faithfully serving. Um, you know, I'm here, I, I teach this group of kids, and I just faithfully teach. It's not always exciting, it's not always popular, but I faithfully teach. You know, this past uh, summer, uh, the late, um, or the ex-president, I guess, President Jimmy Carter, taught a Sunday school class after he had a bout with cancer, and he's famous for that, right? He's one of the presidents that's more famous for what he's done almost after his presidency, philanthropy. And, but one of the things that he does is teach an adult Sunday school down in Georgia. And it was in August that he came back from his surgery and he now was teaching. It's, it's pretty unique. Um, I was watching a piece on this. There's a line that starts outside the church. You're sleeping in a car. It's almost like waiting for Black Friday or for uh, Star Wars or whatever. But there's all these people lined up to go into his Sunday school um, class. And they limit it at like about a thousand people, and it's that's it. And you ensure, and he takes a picture with every single one that comes to visit, and he teaches. Um, and on that day, he had taught his um, something like eight or six hundred eighty ninth class, and his grandson had put a tweet out: uh, "My grandfather is preparing to teach Sunday school at Maranatha Baptist Church for the six hundred eighty ninth time on Matthew chapter five, and it's packed." Now, I don't know if that many people come to hear the pastor preach at the church, but his class is jam-packed, right? And I got to watch some of that. 689th time at the age of 90 teaching Sunday school. And some of us have been there. We felt like, I'm too old for this. Some of us have said, you know, I I've done this enough. 689th time at the age of 90 teaching Sunday school. I was the president. I could take it easy. 689th time teaching at age 90, teaching Sunday school. He is faithful. He calls us to be faithful. Right? He says in verse 5, do the work of fulfill your ministry. Complete it is the idea. Um, and thirdly, looking forward towards the end. We serve knowing there's a goal in mind, right? That's the picture we see in verse 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. That little phrase, I have kept the faith. If we could say that with our own mouths, with a sincere heart, when it's all said and done, that is a successful life. I want to say that out loud together. I have kept the faith. One, two, three. I have kept the faith, right? I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. We want that to be from our hearts. If you could say that, regardless of if you, you know, if your friends made more money or they lived a more extravagant, more exciting life, and you, your life was kind of boring, mundane, just everyday kind of stuff, but if you can say, I have kept the faith, that is a successful life. I've kept the faith. He tells us in the following verse, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who 
have loved his appearing. He will award to me on that day. Can you imagine that picture that he will come and he will award us with a crown? Don't take this lightly. We get excited sometimes when the president of the university will shake our hand, say, good job, I give you this award. Or the president of our company says, oh, here's a plaque, good job, employee, you know, of the quarter. You did, you know, your sales were the best. And we're like, wow, can I take a picture with you? Can I put it up online? Can I, can I be? But this is the king. This is God Almighty. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He's righteous. He will know our faults and our weaknesses and ultimately, we will be there because of what Christ has done for us. And all our sins will be covered up by the righteousness of Christ. And how we try to live our life in the best way possible. He will say, I, I recognize that. Yeah, I know you try to pray. And I know what you did for those people that were struggling. And I know, man, you, 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 were, you only had a little bit of money. But I know you, you were really good with that. You helped people with that. I know you um, genuinely cared and you, you took care of your family and you were the one that held everyone. He'll know that. He says he will reward us on this. And if that doesn't motivate you to live life, nothing else really will. Would you live a life of success, of significance in the proper perspective, in the presence of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, that I will come to him one day and be able to say, I've kept the faith. Here it is, God. Would you be able to do that? It's only in him that we have that strength. So let's ask him for that strength. Let's bow our heads. God, we ask that you would help us to live a life of faith. God, we ask that you would help us to run this race. Lord, there were times that we would struggle through it. There will be times that we would succeed. Uh, but God, we want our success our significance to come from knowing that we did this for you in your presence. So God, would you here uh, in this place, here in this place, would you help us to do that? The years are flying by. The months are going by so fast. And God, we don't want to look back with regrets. We want to look back with life lived for you. No other better, there's no better life than that, God. We know that. So help us start today. We pray in Jesus' name.